Good morning, friends. Welcome. Ordinary time, extraordinary days, last day of this series. We're going to take a break beginning next week, a series entitled Ignite, and it follows the Lenten series that hopefully you've all signed up for. There's a variety of different days, times, and options. You can go to the website for that, uh, or they're in the Wednesday midweek uh, mailer link, and you can find options there as well. Don't forget to come today at 1 o'clock. We're going to do a drive-by thank you for Alfredo and uh, family, and then we'll also be hosting a Zoom Ash Wednesday service. Uh, details on that will come tomorrow in a special email that we send out. Well, I've entitled this this morning, Halfway, The Real Real, and Us. Halfway, The Real Real, or The Really Real, and Us. Our text is from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. I'd like to read those as we get started this morning. If you have your Bible, you can open it up uh, and follow along as I read also. After six days, Jesus took three people with him, Peter, James, and John, and led them up on a high mountain where they were all alone. There he, Christ, was transfigured, transformed, became a different form right before them. His clothes became dazzling white. I like this line. Whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them two prior prophets, Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabboni, or Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. They they were so frightened. Then a cloud, as if that's not frightening enough. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. The Creator God spoke. This is my Son, whom I love. Peculiarly, he replied also, listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Moses and Elijah were now gone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The reading of God's Word. Thanks be to God. Well, we're going to do a little digging this morning. So I brought my shovel. It still has, uh, still has the moving marks on it for two moves, which fascinates me. This shovel has seen lots of beauty bark, lots of stone, and uh, it is the result of, a few hours later, a couple of Advil as well. Today's story is more like an episode out of Netflix's series, Stranger Things. I don't know if you've watched Stranger Things. I get a one fist pump up in the balcony. Alex W. is in the house. In Stranger Things, in season one, two, three, and four, 
children discover what is referred to as an upside-down world that really only they can see. In fact, anyone who can see the upside-down world is only able to see it essentially as a gift. Our story today is really a lot like that. It's a frightening story. The text said that they were so frightened they didn't know what to say. They were shaken in their boots. This is something they hadn't experienced before. And even in verse 10, if you read on, if your Bible is open, they were like, resurrection from the dead, huh? What? Well, huh? What is that? This reminds me of a quote by T.S. Eliot who says this, the way up is the way down, and the way down is the way up. That's the tone of the transfiguration of Jesus this morning. It's a gift given to those who are allowed to see it. Initially, in the case of our three friends. Now, we all get to see it, and we all get to dive into it. We all get to dig deeper into it, and then we're left with a choice that could transform should we allow the gift to have its way in each of us. Because this story is a gift given to those who can see it, Not everyone is allowed to see this strange new world that runs parallel with the world that we normally see day in and day out. But be assured, there is another parallel universe. There is another story. There are stranger things that are happening. There is an upside-down world that's truly right-siding up the world that we live in today. So I think we need to dig into this story and go deep. It's a road map in a way, or a prelude to our upcoming Lenten journey, Where Your Heart Is, and the series that follows along called Ignite. So let's start out, and let's, let me get out my <clears throat> trusty shovel, and I'm just going to dig, I'm going to metaphorically dig down one foot deep into the soil. I don't have my digging shoes on, really, but uh, I'm just going to give it a, a good go. This has planted a few things, and Made our porches and areas prettier, a nice place to sit outside and have a lemonade or coffee and chat and read a book. Okay, I'm going to say we're down. We're digging down one foot into the soil. I call this first dig, this first foot down into the soil, halfway. Let's just go halfway down into the story for a moment. You see, here's the reason. This story is situated halfway between the baptism of Jesus in Mark's gospel, and the resurrection of Jesus, this story is a foreshadowing of stranger things to come and an upside-down world that will right-side up the world that we actually think is the only world that is real. We also need to notice the similarities in this story between other stories, particularly the baptism of Jesus story parallels this transfiguration story. In the baptismal narrative, Jesus is in a river. He's baptized by John the Baptist. A cloud appears above them, and God, the Creator, speaks from the cloud and says, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Now, in the transfiguration story, there's three of them led up to the top of a high mountain, probably Mount Horeb. They get frightened because Jesus turns whiter than anyone could bleach anyone or anything in the whole world. 
at least up until that point, uh, maybe even today. A voice from that cloud in the transfiguration story says this, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then peculiarly, I'm having trouble with that word today for some reason, and peculiarly, the Creator God also adds this phrase, listen to Him. Listen to Him. My Son, in whom I'm well pleased, listen to Him. But here's where it gets kind of weird. That's not bad. But then Jesus doesn't say anything. Okay, so... What are we supposed to listen to if that's the command of God? What are we listening to? Listen to what? Well, God is, God is directing us to go to the stranger things world. Go halfway down and risk listening to the words of Christ, Jesus, God incarnate. Listen to what has been said by him. Listen to what Jesus will continue to say. Listen to everything he has said. Listen to everything he's saying. And listen to everything he will yet say. Drawing our attention to an upside down world that will right side up everything that we think is actually right, which is more wrong than right. Say that ten times really fast. In other words, make your whole life center and align with what he is saying, has said, is saying, and will continue to say. Make that your politics. Make that your center. Make that your energy edge. And it's different. It's different than the power paradigms that play in the world in the day, the power paradigms of Egypt and Babylon that had gone before, Rome during the current time, or even traversing through the centuries and from the West, even into today's United States of America. This is important as we dig halfway down, because my friends, this is, a, this is now a big word, what people who love to study theology call a theophany. A theophany. A theophany is an arrival of God into our space. It's an arrival of God, the cosmic Christ, into our space. This is unique. This is something profound. This is something transfigurative, transformative, and at its root, fundamentally and primally changing the way we view all things, and more importantly, the way we live. You see, a theophany can be scary because it's, it's a moment when all the rules of science are broken. It's when that thin veil between what is seen and unseen is torn from top to bottom and we're able to see on earth as it is, as we pray in heaven. And it's frightening to our three guests so frightening that they're shaking in their boots, I added that, but they didn't know what to say because they were so scared. In fact, only one of them spoke. It's kind of awful. It's kind of scary. It's a lot like Stranger Things' upside-down world to the children, at least at first. They're so frightened, no one can speak. Not Peter, not James, not John. 
What's also interesting about this text is Moses went to a high mountain and a cloud gave Moses ten words. Elijah experienced God in a high place in a similar way. What this text isn't doing is eliminating Moses and Elijah, but building on Moses, then Elijah, then Jesus. And at every turn, adding depth to the punch as we struggle our way halfway in this text. So halfway, we're confronted with a few important questions, aren't we? Like, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Is he a prophet like Moses and Elijah? No, according to this, he's more. God says, listen to him. In this theophany, three reasons Jesus is truly God's Son incarnate. Another key question is, who are we? There's a big one. Who are we as individuals? Well, Peter, James, and John were called to be a part of this new way of living and being in the world, this stranger things new world that will right side up everything that is upside down. You see, we get to be key players in this if we choose to be allowed to see it and then enter in. Another great question is, who does Jesus say he is? Now you're going to have to dig hard in your brain as we dig deeper halfway in our story. Remember all the I am statements of Jesus? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. I am the vine. I am the branches. I and the Creator God are one. Those I am statements are significant mile markers in helping us understand that Jesus is far greater, but does not eliminate Moses and Elijah. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords incarnate on earth this day. We are asked, we are commanded, we are cajoled to do one thing. Three words. Listen to Him. Well, another good question is, who does Jesus say that we are? We're not a bunch of random individuals running around town having our own personal relationship with Jesus Christ and using that to appeal to anything that I individually want to do. That's too, too much of an Americanized individuated Adam and Eve running across their North American Garden of Eden doing whatever they darn well please. No, what's happening here, notice Peter, James, and John are built together in a community of other followers to be a part of a realm of God, new political politic that will provide the inertia and the energy and the movement to take an upside-down world and make it right side up. This is a call and a challenge to be a part of a new, unique, and peculiar people who later will be called the church, as imperfect as we are. Wow, that's pretty deep for just digging down halfway, right? Hey, let's dig down a little bit deeper. Let's dig down 
to another foot. Let's dig down to foot number two into the soil. And let's ask ourselves, and I seem to have hit a, a solid root here, uh, but I'm going to do my best with my good Sunday shoes on. I'll fill this hole later. Don't worry about it. Well, if we dig down two feet into the soil, we're going to discover the real real or the really real of what's going on. Notice that after Jesus was changed into dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could ever bleach them, and Moses and Elijah are gone, Jesus says some peculiar words. Hey, friends, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. That's verse 10. Wait, the disciples, freaking out, frightened to death, can't even talk, spend the rest of their time walking down the mountain talking about what he meant in that phrase. What does it mean to rise from the dead? This is new. This is different. This is distinct. This is all part of this Stranger Things story of a gifted, upside-down world that will make everything we see right side up. You see, it's a foreshadowing that Jesus didn't only die to purge the world from sin, mine and yours. He died because the really real world is at play. It's being ushered in, being unleashed. And the power of evil sought to destroy his witness. And hear me on this because these are the words that the Creator God asked us to listen to. You see, evil crucified him on a cross because he was dangerous to nonviolent love, justice, and truth. His death and resurrection revealed not only the evil of evil, but showed that the really real transforming power of divine love that doesn't dominate challenges, exposes, and transforms the world that we see, the political powers that we see. The scandal of the resurrection of Christ is that the powers we think are all-powerful are not all-powerful. <laughs> and the stranger things of the kingdom of God, the realm of God's upside-down world making the upside-down world right-side-up, is that everything that we think is important, from politics to ideology in particular, from looking at people as them versus us. That kind of power paradigm are simply straw people. It's paper machete. They're wineskins too brittle to be elastic enough to hold anything of importance. It's insubstantial. That's the really real world. The realm of God that exposes the thin veneer of the politics of the day by the power holders and the money grabbers. The Creator God wants us not to listen to that realm, but to listen to my beloved Son, 
who stands always with those on the margins, stands up for those that want to stone an adulterer, stands with those and heals those who have been ostracized by disease, leprosy, to stand with those who are of different color or origin, to stand with those who speak or worship differently, to stand with those who do not have their papers, to stand with those and expose the veneer and the folly of what we always call, more often than not, the rule of law. We're asked to listen to Jesus by the Creator Godhead. And in listening to Jesus, we're given the right question. Whose law do we listen to? The law of the politics of power or the law of the realm of God? This is pretty strong stuff. Well, let's dig down another foot into the soil. My hole's getting pretty deep. And I know that this is just for fun, so I'm not going to do more than two shovelfuls. As we dig down a third foot, we have to ask ourselves, okay, we've gone down halfway. We've looked at the really real. Now, what does this mean for us here today? Well, at this halfway moment in the Gospel of Mark and in our journey to the resurrection, it's a call to choose between the really real world of the spiritual, political realm of God and be participants in nonviolent love and justice of the upside-down and right-side-up world of the really real realm of God. We need to learn, even in our churches, to create space in our community so that we can share new stories when folks have transfiguration moments, aha moments. Places that are safe to challenge the status quo. After all, we are reformed and always to be reforming. Because in so doing, we become more relational, relevant, and bold in the way of Jesus the Christ. You see, this is a story about going up the mountain, being changed by fixing our eyes on Christ, and then going back down the mountain to live according to this newly realigned way of walking in Jesus' sandals. Now, I did share this story earlier this week, so if you heard it, you can hear it again. My guess is some haven't heard me yet. I shared this Wednesday with my midweek message. There's a woman in Tennessee who really understands that whether we're going up or going down, we always keep our eyes fixed and focused and transfigured on Christ. And in that process, we are transformed and transfigured into the stranger things of an upside-down world that makes an upside-down world right-side-up again. Her name's Margaret. 
She was in her 90s when Bill Carl, who tells the story in Feasting on the Word, met her. She used to hike 15 miles every day. She's a legend in the Smoky Mountains. I have an uncle that lives in the Smoky Mountains and vacations in Florida. It was a joy. It was always a joy to hike with Margaret, according to Bill, because she knew every turn in the trail and every plant and tree by its Latin name. I like this. He said, my first trip up Mount Lacante was her 75th, and my second trip with her was her 125th. And my third trip with her was her 500th trip. When she finally stopped hiking, she had climbed that mountain more than 700 times. Her husband didn't go. He had cancer. He tells the story of when the two of them were hiking together on one of those journeys. We came upon what Margaret described as the unrelenting two-mile ridge in the whole area. Two miles up with no break. And this was after a hard six miles on a very hot day. Bill says, I, I like to hike, but I like to hike in spurts. So I said to Margaret, Margaret, see you later. I took off in my usual fashion, according to Bill, and got way ahead of her. Yet at some point, I found myself lying flat on my back, half in delirium. Sounds like something I would do. Not long later, a blurred Margaret passed at her steady pace. I can still hear the click, 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 click of her cane. And with no pity at all in her voice, she said to me as she passed by, not breaking stride, one more mile to go, Bill. I'll see you at the top. And so she did, arriving well ahead of me without stopping even once. Not once did she stop. Not long after that, her husband finally died and passed away of cancer. But because of her daily walk with God, her last few hours with him were spent not in sadness or remorse, but joy and celebration. Why? Because when Margaret says, I'll see you at the top, she means it. For she's fixed on Christ. Her step is steady and sure. And she knows the meaning of the words. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. So whether we're halfway up the mountain, whether we've really understood the really real world, keep our eyes fixed on Christ, will you? with me this day? Whether we're at the top of the mountain or in a dark valley, will you choose the really real way of God today? My prayer is that we all do. Wherever life finds us, at in this very moment. My friends, let's, let's pray together. I'm going to rest my elbows on my shoulders shovel because that was a lot of digging man forgive us when we make what we see the only reality 
Teach us to live into the stranger things of an upside-down world that's a gift given to us through the Holy Spirit of God where we can see that our task is not to follow along in the snark and the ire and the hatred and the power paradigms at play that dissect people off, cordon them off, give them different names, help us to expose and to reveal that. Because in the realm of God, in the way of God, in the words and in the life of Jesus Christ, we are all human beings created in the image of God. To which God said after the moment of creation, <laughs> I am very, very pleased. Teach us to do that this day. And may we commit to the realm of God and peace and love and justice and grace and forgiveness for all people. In the strong name of Christ we pray.